0: Special thanks to CHR Hansen, a leader in fermentation and innovative brewing solutions. CHR Hansen's range of high-quality yeasts includes Smart Bev Neer, which crafts flavorful beer entirely without the alcohol. These yeasts even enable fast, climate-friendly, and cost-efficient production. We thank CHR Hansen for their support and commitment to excellence in brewing. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. A volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 go, go. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Come down,
1: I'm moving too fast.
0: This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Berkeley Yeast, creators of diacetyl-free yeast strains. Diacetyl-free strains are bioengineered to produce the ALDC enzyme inside the yeast cell to keep diacetyl low during fermentation and after packaging. Diacetyl-free strains create the cleanest flavor profile possible, which makes them the yeast of choice for the most exacting brewer. Go to berkeleyeast.com to read about how brewers are using diacetyl-free strains to propel their beers to the top of the podium. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance.
2: As the the climate transitions, we need to consider what our new normal is.
3: Uh, Maybe the traditional barley growing area is not sufficient. Maybe we look at uh, different barley growing areas that is not conventional.
2: Understanding how your process is or can be a limitation.
0: This week on the show, adjusting expectations and process to navigate an increasingly delicate malt supply chain.
2: Okay, I am uh, Harmony Bettenhausen. I am the director of the Hartwick College Center for Craft, Food, and Beverage.
3: Hi, this is uh, Xiang Yan. I work at the Supply Chain Quality Department of Baltimore, North America, in the USA.
1: Yeah, hi, Curtis Davenport from Admiral Maltings in Alameda, California.
0: Let's take a quick look in the rearview mirror before we talk about the future. How has climate impacted barley quality in North America over the last few years? And what have been the consequences in the supply chain?
3: Yes, John, I think this is a question regarding what is the standard or normal quality of a crop year. And the concept definitely has drifted because of the climate change that we have experienced. I think if you look back um, for the last few years, um, in 2020, we had high down, high mycotoxin because of the wet climate. Then 21, following that, we had a really bad drought and a lot of the most had to... Um, bring in barley produced from other continents, whether it's Europe, Australia, or South America. And then after that was a high protein year, very high protein. And as of this year, and a lot of the uh, monsters are reporting uh, the high incidence of um, pre-harvest sprouting. Um, So, um, yeah, so if you are looking for a normal year, um, you probably now see, okay, maybe every 10 years we have a normal year. Yeah, in the past, is every 10 years we have abnormal year. So this is the reality we are facing. And as a result, um, the monsters would have to uh, adapt sourcing strategies, trying to minimize the change from one crop year to another. So some brewers may, may have experienced some variation in the crop years change, but some maybe not because the molsters are trying to do their best, trying to smooth out the, um, the, the changes, the dramatic situations. Um, but so as a result, if we are looking forward, um, inevitably we'll be seeing a lot of unpredictable harvest weather or growing weather, and we need to be prepared for um, the diverse quality we might get. So it's an agricultural product. We need to deal with it and then get the best out from from whatever crop gives us.
0: Okay, so abnormal is the new normal. Uh, (laughs) Yes. What are the critical control points in the supply chain in regard to both security and quality?
3: Yeah, I think this really uh, makes... All the stakeholders in the supply chain rethink of the strategy for sourcing supplying assurance, etc, and how we rely on domestic production um, that means uh, maybe the traditional body growing area is not sufficient. Maybe we look at uh, different body growing areas that is not conventional so I mean looking back in the u s history, for example. There used to be quite a lot of molten body production in California and then in Tennessee area, Tennessee winter, for example. And now it's more in the, the Northwest and so, uh, I mean, the Middle West also. Um, so maybe we should look at those again. And for example, you see some winter body varieties that seem to be delivering very good quality maybe seven years out of 10, they're not frozen to death and they survive the winter. <laughs> so so some winter hardiness uh, for the breeding colleagues is, is going to be a big goal here and a big challenge. But those are type of um, diversity maybe we're looking at. Uh, we need to adapt. And also to the brewers, we need to work together and approve the new varieties. So we are able to take advantages of the new varieties like higher extract or moderate enzyme, etc., or low protein content. Because some brewers feel comfortable with some varieties that they are using. But then several years later, those varieties um, become less productive in the field and then less available and therefore uh, giving less quality like extract uh, from the mold house and then the brew house. Therefore, we need to be really keeping up with the newer varieties because some of them have better disease resistance and better agronomical performance, and then better quality. Uh, we just need to, to really follow up and then do our job and do the process of uh, variety approval. That, that to me is very important. And then after those body supply questions, I'm thinking in the brew house, uh, we need to be open for um, really adapting the crop with the flexible mashing regime, for example. Do we need to set the temperature at a certain temperature, etc. And I think we will t- discuss later uh, how about some new processing technologies, like, for example, ozone treatment or some E-beam treatment to get rid of the micro load on the mold that is coming from the field. So those are some of the things, to me, I think we could certainly look into it. Altogether.
0: How should brewers adjust their expectations as we see a changing climate and landscape?
2: So, I think riffing off of what Dr. Yin just said, just keeping in mind that there will be inconsistencies, there might not be what we consider a normal year. And it's important to think about pivoting rather than rejecting um, when we're talking about malt um, or, you know, barley in general, and this will help us lead to a more confident and sustainable supply chain. Um, One way you can do that is having conversations with your suppliers Getting unstuck, uh, you know, there are a lot of moving targets on the certificate of analysis and understanding how your process is or can be a limitation. As Dr. Yin said, understanding the transition to varieties that are adapted to meet our demands um, of different climates. As the as the climate transitions, we need to consider what our new normal is, and and by that I mean not a, a broad normal, but yours for your malt house or your brewery. You know, is there a normal, and that involves um, data collection, data analysis, monitoring that quality and data over time, and understanding what it means. Um, thinking more about the grain and malt quality and what you can potentially make from it and not the other way around. Like, why can't I make what I want with this malt? This malt is terrible and won't give me what I want. Um, and instead thinking about what you can possibly do. I, you know, it, it comes back to thinking more like a scientist, I guess, and, and you know, understanding what, you know... To, Similar to brewing in general, right? You have a thing in mind that you want to make. You have um, a path to get there, objectives to meet goals, um, long-term goals, like seeing the long game. So on the East Coast, we have, you know, some new varieties to work with that uh, work well in our area, right? We have less drought and more really variable weird weather. It's hot sometimes, it's humid sometimes, rainy, and rainy at really inconvenient times, like at harvest, which leads to that pre-harvest sprouting or the... Uh, you know, the, the sprouting in the in the field. So each year we have to figure out what the normal is. And so we assess the grain, uh, the maltsters buy the grain, they malt it, and then we get phone calls, um, you know, that ask, okay, so how do we malt this the best we can? What is the quality we can expect from this grain? How do we communicate this with our brewers and distillers? And how do we get them to communicate back to us? And we've really tried to encourage brewers to take the chance, experiment, get a baseline and communicate back about performance. And that's really the only way we could decide if it's going to work or not. You know, and if brewer takes a chance and says, okay, sure, I'll I'll see how this works on my system. And I don't have to make a pills or a lager with this, I can fit it into something else. You know, we've, we've had a lot of those instances, especially in our areas, we throw new adapted varieties into the mix.
0: Harmony, I'm guessing that in your role, you probably see samples uh, from all over North America, not just the major growing regions. Can you comment on sort of the state of diversity in the supply chain? For example, I believe I remember hearing that you know when we had the very high protein year that there was some very low protein malt coming out of the mid-Atlantic, for example.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We do see samples from all over, um, all over North America and, um, you know, sometimes from around the world. Um, and that's actually very true. The same year that Dr. Yin talked about that we had that high, um, high protein barley, we saw a lot out in this area that was um, very low protein. Uh, we also had some other issues out here, some other quality issues involving pre-harvest sprouting, but there are other supplies of barley that could be used in these areas. But again, you know, we, we need to um, definitely uh, work with our breeders more and encourage them uh, to, uh, you know, work be working on um, the adapted varieties for our areas.
0: Okay. Sounds like there might be some some good opportunities to do some blending across some of the the diverse growing regions. I guess we probably have to increase production in, in some of the regions before that becomes, uh, you know, uh, a big reality, though, right?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a lot of there are a lot of varieties now that are um, on Amba's on American Malting Barley Associations list, and a lot that aren't. That breeders put out there that are available. Um, Dr. Pat Hayes um, and Dr. Campbell-Morrissey ha- worked, have worked for the past several years to put several varieties out um, as well as varieties um, you know that Curtis can talk about that have come out of UC Davis that are um, not in high production but absolutely are available for use.
0: All right. What kind of changes might we see on malt COAs?
3: First of all, I think we would need to see a more broad range for certain parameters like protein, for example, because some of the harvested barley may have relatively high protein, but otherwise the quality could be very good. Uh, It's sound and it's clean and the plumpness is good. If we limit the protein content to a certain low level, then you are not able to take benefit of um, um, those those slightly higher protein population that could be very good in general quality otherwise, and also I think um, it's it's the style of beer we are talking about for some of the brewers who wanted to produce more European type of uh, pilsner also, and they may want to, to expand their beta glucan tolerance to a little bit higher level because then they can. Uh, utilize the moderate modification of protein to boost the form and the mouthfeel of the beer and then uh, control the enzyme activities as well. So I think those parameters are all related to each other. I think it's really very much depending on the beer style um, the brewer wants to make. Nowadays, we are seeing um, IPL and then different personas being produced by craft brewers particularly. And in that case, they may want to shift that color to be a little bit lower range. And as a result, um, it may not be modifying. I mean, the mold may not be modifying that well. And therefore, uh, the beta-glucan and extract may need to be um, changed a little bit in their specifications.
2: I think that a lot of people look at the um, the AMBA, the American Malting Barley Association, um, they've got a set of specifications for malt quality, but um, those are only for breeders. And I think a lot of people get stuck on certain uh, metrics, on certain measurements. They may only look at extract, um, or they may only look at beta-glucan and not particularly realize that um, those are all very interconnected. But I completely agree with expanding tolerance, and that goes back to seeing what your system can handle for the end style that you're trying to create. We're definitely going to see variation and changes in protein levels, but that doesn't mean that if it is quote unquote out of spec that you can't use it and you can't make something from it. There will be um, thinner kernels in, in some years Uh, you know, it's important. It will become more important um, you know, to, uh, and uh, as much as I know people hate adjusting their mill, uh, you know, you'll have to conduct a sieve analysis or grist analysis um, and understand if you're getting the optimum grind out of your gr- uh, out of your mill. You know, this should be done every time you change lots, uh, in my opinion. We're going to see a lot of changes. And this is something um, that Dr. Glenn Fox has talked a lot about changes in gelatin- gelatinization temperatures. Um Changes in the amounts of storage proteins, um, endosperm hardness, and our ability to hydrate and um, completely um, modify malts um, and it will make it harder uh, more difficult for brewers to deal with, but um, that's not to say that it, it isn't possible.
0: Shong, you started to mention um, beer style a second ago, so let's talk about that a little bit more. What challenges will North American all malt brewers? likely face in the future, and to what extent will those challenges vary by beer style?
3: Yes, John. I think our pioneer brewers, when they first came to the U.S., um, they realized that uh, the North American barley were relatively high in protein enzyme activity, etc., and they were quite smart. They introduced carbohydrate adjunct to dilute the Protein and also utilize the high enzymatic activity in the malt of North America to break down the starch in the adjunct. Therefore, they produced beer that is relatively uh, clear and then um, comparable to a lot of the traditional styles like Pilsen also. And as a result, if we switch to all malt brewing in North America, then we are facing different types of challenges. So things like high protein also, and as a result, we and also high enzymes. So we benefit from it because we utilize the high enzyme activity and we do very quick mashing, and then we finish off very quickly. And then we still like to see the... uh, Low beta glucans, so that they can filter better in the future. I mean, downstream. The, down um, therefore, we are not able to um, see the, the benefit of the other side. For example, if it's all malt brewing naturally with high protein, we are going to end up with very high free amino nitrogen, so amino acids in the beer, and that. Could be providing some really um, richness in the flavor, but also it's a precursor for uh, staling for strikeer degradation, and they can give um, some very strong stale flavor like cooked potato also depending on the type of amino acid you're doing you're, you're talking about so um, therefore we need to manage that as well. And this is not that easy. You can say, well, I can simply bring down the modification of the malt and control the S over T of the malt to a lower level. Therefore, I have sufficient free amino nitrogen for the yeast, but not so much left in the beer. Um, Yes, you could do that, but naturally, your beta-glucan modification may be uh, uh, impacted. Therefore, you cannot use a very, very low beta can specification, because in that case, you are trying to really take the advantages of both worlds. Sometimes it's possible. Sometimes it's a big challenge. Therefore, you are not able to take advantages of of the whole supply chain, if that's the case. So we need to look at the all-mold brewing very holistically. Um, We are benefiting from it, but we also need to be open-minded when we set the specification. So, um, there's a balance, very fine balance between all those parameters.
0: It sounds like adjunct brewers um, might have an easier time navigating some of these challenges in, in the future. Are, are we going to see more craft brewers get friendly with adjuncts?
3: I think, in theory, yes, if you manage to have a, a, a long shelf life and then clear a clearer beer. I mean, stability is the key thing, flavor stability colloidal stability and micro-stability, right? And all those would be impacted by the ratio of uh, malt to adjunct. However, um, a lot of the craft brewers may not be set up to cook adjunct, for example. Are they able to cook rice? Are they able to cook corn So they may need to rely on some um, readily available adjunct like syrup or sugar or so. Um, so I think, I think it's, a, it's definitely a way to deal with the high proteins um, in, in the mold that is coming from North America and then trying to improve the stabilities, whether it's colloidal or its flavor stability. And of course, um, a lot of I mean, nitrogen is not good for micro stability either. <laughs>
1: Coming up, brewers shouldn't take for granted that um, growers are always going to want to produce barley. So if the specs are super narrow and and everyone is um, you know rejecting barley because it's not perfect, then that barley's likely not going to be grown. I'm John Bryce,
0: and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. <laughs> There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG and their partners, HVG, who bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. With its classic hoppy, slightly herbal, and zesty lemon aromas, it's the ideal hop for those looking to capture the traditional flavor of a classic German lager. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more.
1: Get to know Proximity Malt.
0: Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit BrewingScience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange, one stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Don't miss the January 10th webinar, Brewing in a Beer with Smart Bev Near Yeast, A Craft Brewer's Perspective. District Michigan meets in Kalamazoo, January 10th. District Northern Illinois meets at Moore Brewing in Huntley, January 12th. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. District New England meets at Martha's Exchange, January 26th and 27th. The 2024 Ontario Technical Conference is January 31st to the 2nd at the Pillar and Post. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at Surly February 15th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology Course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. District St. Louis meets at Top Golf in Chesterfield February 26th. District St. Louis's March Shop Talk will be at Blue Jay Brewing March 21st. The District St. Louis Spring Quarterly Meeting is April 8th. The Master Brewer's Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 6th. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Shang, you've talked about the possibility of taking advantage of both old and new world approaches in setting malt COA parameters and brewing regime. Explain what you mean by that.
3: In North America, if we're trying to produce Pilsner type and, and light beer type, clear beer type, um, we quite often would want it to have light color in the mode and uh, a lower KI. I think those are all fitting the specifications, but quite often we may not expect to have the same low beta glucans in the mold. If you do, then you would have trouble probably getting the the, the well modified and balanced mold, um, because mold that is made for making L is probably relatively high in modification and uh, and the low beta glucan, um, so. If you're making a Pure type and relatively light type of malt and a low protein, um, you may want it to um, expand the beta glucan tolerance a little bit higher to a, to a higher upper level. And then what you would do is that, like the Europeans, um, you would you would do probably do a little bit more elaborate the mashing. I mean, North America, a lot of our brewers uh, do very intensive mashing to. Um, convert the starch into fermentable sugars, but in some breweries um, they just uh, utilize uh, one temperature mashing and very quickly. So very few breweries, particularly uh, with the craft brewing, would uh, consider, okay, I'm trying to make a European type of beer and uh, let me do a programmed mashing or even decoction mashing really to deal with the high genitalization temperature in some crop years or the high beta-glucan or the, the more moderate protein solubilization. So we, we try to take advantage of both worlds, but it's, it's sometimes not very easy to do so. Um, and then if we are making an LBL for example, type, we may want it to have well relatively well-modified mold and then relatively darker mold and as a result we we face the potential of having um, too much free amino nitrogen left and too much thermal load in the beer, therefore, they are not flavor stable from that perspective um, So we need to control that as well um and I'm not mentioning the denaturing of uh, some of the oxidative enzymes like LOX, uh, oxygenase, which leads to papery note, um, if you don't apply sufficient heat to, to denature that. So um, all, with all that said, it's, it's, it's like you're trying to like the old world architecture if you walk in the old, old world. Um, and you're trying to also like the, uh, uh, the speed, high speed of um, the new world construction and you trying to expect taking advantage of both and hoping for the the result that is coming out still as expected um may not be a good analogy but it's it's you you see the message i trying to 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 send um because otherwise yeah if you force the supply the, the front part of the supply chain to do something that is not very easy to do then um you may end up with uh, something very very uh Like uh, salt and pepper mix also. And that's not what you need really.
0: Curtis, you're a craft maltster and uh, I don't know a lot about um, the growing regions that you source from but um, I'm curious have you had to make many adjustments to your process to deal with some challenging crop years?
1: Yeah, we have had to. Um, We're in the midst of some of those right now actually. But um, I think that the problems that we've seen um, are primarily protein, higher protein um, in warmer, drier years. Um, and as a result of that um, high protein, we have kernels that are um, harder, like physically harder, and also harder to hydrate, uh, more difficult to, to hydrate. And then that makes uh, modification more difficult when you can't Um, you know, if there's not water making its way throughout the entire endosperm, um, then the cell walls that are protecting the starches, um, aren't going to be broken down during the malting process. Um, and so you'll end up with higher beta glucans in the finished malt and lower, um, extract as a result. And so when we're working with higher protein barley, um, we kind of have two options. We can either, um, really make an effort to make sure it's very well hydrated and kind of focus on that beta glucan spec and do everything we can to um achieve good um modification. Um the problem with that or the trade-off with that is um you know as a result you have um more artifacts of modification. So um that protein um turns into free amino nitrogen. Um DMS precursors and so if you want to have really low beta-glucans the trade-off might be higher fan and and higher DMSP. Um, So I think it's important that we're talking with brewers and understand like hey could you accept slightly higher beta-glucans so that we can limit the protein modification and and not deliver malt with uh, uh, these other artifacts that are going to make cause issues in your beer
0: sean how, how does that translate to a larger scale malt house? I mean, are the problems, the adjustments and prob- problems and adjustments that Curtis just mentioned, um, is it really the same game in a bigger malt house or is there you know, anything different that happens at scale? Well,
3: that's very true. Um, I think in the malt houses, whether it's big or small, um, you need to start with very good hydration. You cannot rush it through um, the uh, steep house. That you need to make sure, um, particularly if the protein is relatively high, the hydration may be a little bit slow. Therefore, you wanted to make sure the hydration uh, of the kernels, uh, not just the moisture uptake, hydration uh, means even distribution of the moisture in the kernel. That is achieved before you release the steeped body to germination. And during germination you need to be really controlling the conditions so it's not you're not just growing grass and just trying to meet a certain amount of solubles you are trying to modify the whole kernels making sure um, from the um, distal end to the uh, basal end of the kernel is all well modified and that takes time and then you cannot rush it you can certainly Geminated at a warm temperature, high moisture, but then you just end up growing grass. You lose a lot of your starch in the mold house. Um, so you, you need to control that very carefully and, and have very even modification. And then during the kilning, depending on the style, of course, you need to control it very carefully. And large mold houses would have a benefit because then you, if you have a large batch and then the quality may be more consistent, However, if you have um, small lots of barley going into one large batch, and they may not be um, growing uh, very uniformly, um, so therefore you need to try to segregate the barley by variety, by protein band, etc. So trying to um, produce the product as consistently as possible
0: makes sense. Dr. Bettenhausen, do you 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 see a lot of um, different samples from a lot of different places? Do you have a lot of conversations about with monsters about how they can adjust their processes to to deal with some of the the challenges that we see?
2: Yeah, that's most of my day actually having conversations <laughs> with monsters. Um, best part of my job, though. You no, know, and, and to you know expand on what Dr. Yin was saying. You know, and just speaking to the hydration and modification, it absolutely needs to be adjusted and controlled per variety and per protein level and per crop year. This isn't a push-button sort of industry. It's not – every time you go to malt, you need to really assess the personality of the actual grain before you malt it and say, well – you know, basically, you know, what do you want? Where are you at in your, in your life? What can I give you? Um, you know, we have certain varieties that, um, are very particular in the way they want to be malted. Um, and those are things we absolutely talk about a lot. Um, they're like children,
0: right? They're all different.
2: (laughs) That's right. They absolutely have different personalities. Um, and it, you know, we we kind of tell people to you know think like a barley kernel uh, when they're when they're malting. Um, there are a lot of variables in the malt house um, and in the brew house, of course, and it all needs to kind of come together with some some synergy in order to get people what they want. But you know, brewers have a lot of tools at their disposal that they can absolutely use coming up to deal with those uh, variable crop years, variable um, metrics that they're seeing.
0: How about conversations that you have with with brewers about, you know, changes that they should make? Uh, can, can you think back to any interesting conversations you'd have, you've had with brewers where either they're, they're asking you for advice about how to how to process your malt differently or, or deal with, you know, malt that they know might be outside of a, a range of what they're used to.
1: For sure. Um, I think what comes to mind there is the, um, we malte a, a fairly unique barley variety, but 12, um, it's grown in the Sacramento Valley, um, in California. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a traditional, well, it's not a recently traditional malting barley region and the buddha 12, um, genetics are not, you know, it's not a typical malting barley. So, um, it certainly can't be used interchangeably, um, as say Copeland, which is another variety that we malt, um, quite a bit of. And the big difference between them is their hardness and friability. So, um, We have, even in an excellent crop year, we'll see relatively low friability in buddha 12. Um, and It's just a harder endosperm. We can have great modification, you know, totally, you know, looking at numbers on a COA, everything is um, just beautiful. But if you were to mill that barley and you didn't know it was going to be harder and more difficult to mill, Um, you'd probably end up with a a grist that... uh, is not going to give you an efficient mash and and good extract recovery. And so um, we tell all of our customers, hey, when you're, um, one, know what variety you're brewing with and know that um, not all varieties are the same. Um, And then it's on us to communicate to them, hey, something about Buda 12 is that it's harder. You're going to need to tighten up your mill a little bit and just um, take a look at your grist and, and make sure it's the right assortment for you. Um, I think that's especially important. You know, we talk about uh, needing a more diverse um, barley supply. We're going to have regionally adapted varieties. And so there's going to be more varieties in the marketplace, or certainly if it's a really challenging year and maltsters are sourcing barley from around the world, that's going to introduce a whole lot of um, new barley that that brewers aren't used to. And I think it's going to be really important for, maltsters and brewers to communicate about, hey, what are the unique traits of these varieties?
0: How can brewers help growers and maltsters improve the security of the malt supply chain?
2: I guess starting the conversations, that's a lot of what we talk about is um, whether it's education, self-education. Um, even if you are a brewery, I would say that um, only gets their malt from say Malt Europe or, or RAR or wherever, find your local maltster and start to ask the questions about COAs. If you don't have you know, a sales rep or something that you um, feel comfortable asking questions to, find someone that you can feel comfortable asking questions to about you know, your, your, your stupid questions. We all have people that we can ask about stupid things. You know, like I call Curtis up all the time and ask him stupid questions. Um, I think visiting malt houses, um, educating oneself on what the malting process entails and learning about the process and what the COA really means, um, and how all of those things are intertwined and visiting farms. A lot of people have, um, Field days. I know, like uh, root shoot in Colorado, they have you know t- they have field days where you can visit the malt house, you can visit the, the the barley fields, the corn fields, the the whatever, and just really touching and feeling and learning how it is all connected helps people to, I, I guess, just feel connected to it and make different choices about what they do in the brew house.
3: Well, uh, to me, John, I think. It's not just the the brewers. I think the consumers probably can also um, get some learning as well. There's an opportunity, for example, to learn from the wine world. Um, They mark the terroir of the bottle of uh, wine and the year of the crop. And uh, consumers will just have to accept that each bottle of wine has a, a story of itself. But they don't expect each bottle of beer has a different story they expect. All beers have the same story for, from that brand. Um, so maybe there's an opportunity um, if we, we manage to do some education saying that, okay, uh, this beer is made from an agricultural product that can change um, by the production area, by the crop year also. Maybe the consumers can really enjoy the change from crop year to another rather than rejecting it. Um, I, I know that's not going to be very uh, very well accepted. We all want to have a very consistent product, and do want the product when we taste it is as good as is expected. Um, on the other hand, I think we again, yeah, we need to work in the supply chain with all the stakeholders together to smooth out this this variation from one crop year to another. And therefore we need to have very good um, system to maybe blend crop years rather than just switching from 0% to 100% crop year one to crop year two. Maybe we, we do a transitional program um, and then the again new varieties or varieties from different sources. Therefore we are prepared and we know how to deal with those new varieties. Um, yes, um, how do we set the meal setting? by the plumpness of the kernels. So we still get the same type of um, distribution in the grids coming out from the mill. Um, So those are things we will have to deal with uh, more often than before.
2: Yeah, if I could just say one more thing about that, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, I do totally agree with the customer experience and the customer um, education, the end user or not the end user, the end consumer, you know, I was just down in Louisville visiting a bunch of larger distilleries and distilleries anymore and wineries as well, as you mentioned, are all about the customer experience. You walk in there and it's not just like you sit there and play games. You are immersed in the whole education, uh, you know, fr- from grain to glass. Um, and I, I, find that really an enlightening way to be educated about things like terroir, you know, how important the agricultural products are that are in what you're consuming. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel like the different areas of, 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 Brewing are a little bit siloed like we've got our, our farmers um, and then the mulsters and then the brewers and it, it in my opinion, it, it can be less siloed and more communicative and more of a learning experience. I mean, I'm not bagging on. Um, uh, brewers at all right here but you know there's a week out of every year that all of the brewers go to hop selection and it's a big wonderful party out there and uh, that's great and fun but uh, you know we should be having that sort of an experience on the other raw material sides as well
1: i think just understanding that beer is made from barley and kind of know i i'm blanking on the exact podcast episode but i know you had a, a great one where about- yeah, it was keith armstrong i think yeah, just appreciating barley, and even if we don't go as, you know, far down the terroir um, road as wine, just knowing that beer is made from barley, and brewers shouldn't take for granted that um, growers are always going to want to produce barley. So if the specs are super narrow, and and everyone is, um, you know, rejecting barley because it's not perfect, then that barley's likely not going to be grown. And um, I think, uh, you know, no no barley, no malt, no beer. Um, and yeah, so I think supporting the farmers by um, having some wider tolerances for the natural variation or an increasing variation um, with climate change.
3: Well, I wanted to add, John, uh, we didn't really mention things like uh, um, Particular sensory um, of beer, whether it's flavor or appearance, foam, for example, is a very interesting parameter for the quality of beer. In some regions than the other, I think in North America, or in in um, Britain, probably um, people just want to have a full glass to the top by the liquid. But uh, in some other Those regions, are wrong, like by the Europe. Way. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah so uh like in japan or in uh, europe also they like to see a certain amount of foam on top of the liquid and to me that looks beautiful that's a good sign of of uh, a creamy fine foam tight foam but that is very much related to the mold quality and if we just keep modifying the mold so much and just giving it so much color etc and and then trying to rush through the uh, the mashing so we can we can have sorry, high modified malt and then quick mashing and we we don't end up with uh, uh, the preserved amount of protein that gives the foam i mean pro peptide is one of them the hydrophobic uh, peptide is, is a key contributor for the foam so um we yeah if we are really looking at uh, some authentic style of beers that is, is really rich in form, we need to also pay attention to the quality of the mold, which could be moderately modified. That means you need to tolerate a certain amount of lower modification parameters like viscosity, beta Ki, etc. Um, so everything is, is a balance. It's all decided by the style of, of product you're, you're aiming to produce. <laughs>
0: That was Harmony Bettenhausen, Sean and Curtis Davenport here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Up, of oh. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Precision Fermentation, and the Lupulin Exchange. So please let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.